Amongst priests in a diocese, there's an expression that maybe doesn't sound very flattering, but it serves a purpose. And the name is supply priest. Supply priests are priests that aren't directly attached to any parish. Maybe they work in an office for the archdiocese, or like myself, they may be assigned to a seminary. Now, I've been very blessed. St. Joe's has certainly come to feel like home, but I still go out to a number of other parishes on the weekend where they just need help. So supply priest is the term that's used for that. Now, you know you are a supply priest when you get assigned to next Sunday's evening Mass. I've been away from parish life formally since 2013, and I think I've seen one Super Bowl in that time. Now, there's been zero probability that my team was ever in one of those Super Bowls, so it hasn't been that hard for me. It's kind of nice. You get to meet the expat European and Latin Americans who are living there, soccer fans. But I'm mentioning this because whether you like football or not, and don't worry, this isn't going to be a football homily, but as you might know, you get two weeks to prepare for the Super Bowl, and some of that certainly is a marketing ploy. But those two weeks, right, these are the best teams in a professional league. They are using every second of those 14 days, and all they're doing is pouring over film and talking to scouts they are scouring every bit of information they can find out about their opponent for one reason and one reason only, so that somehow they can exploit their weaknesses. They're looking for one thing, one little chink in the armor. And when you get to be that level, that good, you know, like a laser beam, you just zero in. And they're going to do everything in their power by the time that game starts. Think about that for a minute. When you're going out to face your opponent, you know they've spent two whole weeks looking for every weakness they can find. Weaknesses are funny things, right? None of us enjoy them. And we're certainly schooled in our lives to try and cover them up or hide them. And it takes a really special point in a relationship, a shared intimacy, a level of trust, before we'll let our weaknesses be known. Sometimes they are known, whether we like it or not. We can't hide them all. But just think about it for a minute. Every one of us has weaknesses. Things we're maybe ashamed of or embarrassed about. Things that no matter how hard we try, we just never quite rise to the level that we wish we could. Things that we've suffered through no choice or fault of our own. It's just the family we were born in, the place we were raised, whatever, genes. And how those weaknesses can be used. How they can be used by enemies, how they can even be used by friends. There's a reason why the old saying is, you always hurt the ones you love. No one can push our buttons sometimes like the ones who know us best. And if you're going for a job interview, maybe, and you're really savvy, you learn, what are the weaknesses? What are the needs of this company? How can I somehow present myself as being a help or an assistance? Things move. Things advance, oftentimes, through the weaknesses in relationships or organizations. And they can go forward or they can go backward. But they're often the points of transition. 
I'm saying all of this because tonight we see a great example of how God works in and through our weaknesses. And you see this when Jesus engages other people. If we look at it from this perspective and not simply as, well, okay, this is another call story. Jesus is calling the disciples. He goes up to Peter, right? And he he knows what he's doing because he's literally forced Peter to listen to him. He goes out in the boat and he's teaching. We're not told what he talks about, but Peter's listening to all of this. And Jesus isn't an idiot. He's noticed that they're not catching fish. And he recognizes Peter's weakness. He recognizes, here's a professional fisherman and he has empty nets. And he doesn't say, you know, oh yeah, it was a tough night fishing. Let's go watch the Super Bowl. What he says to the professional fisherman is, Throw your net on the other side. Now, Peter doesn't know who Jesus is at this point. We're at the very beginning of the gospel. I've got to imagine there was at least part of him that was thinking, hey, I'm the professional fisherman here. Just swing your hammer, buddy, and stick to your profession. I'll stick to mine. But he allows himself in that moment, for whatever reason, we're never going to know if there were other people Jesus invited that day who just said, no, forget about it. But Peter, in that moment, allowed himself the humility to simply say to this guy who clearly was not a professional fisherman, okay, I'll I'll do this. But he had total freedom. He had 100% freedom of choice. He could have said no. He could have argued a little bit. He could have asked Jesus to give him a better reason for doing that. And Jesus went right through his need, right through his lack, Maybe even doing it in a way that was highlighting for Peter what he hadn't been successful at that day. Think of Jesus encountering other people. Think of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. She's there because she's thirsty. She's there because her jars are empty. And Jesus says, give me what you wish you had in your jar. He's highlighting for her what she lacks. Because, of course, it's not about water with her. And with Peter, it's not about fish. But it is about getting them to think about and reflect on, well, what do I need? And why does God work through our weaknesses? If you think about it just in your own human relationships, if we let someone come to us, if we let someone approach us in that area of our heart or mind, as I said, that takes a lot of trust. That takes a lot of willingness to be vulnerable. If I'm willing to say, okay, You can meet me here. We can talk about that thing that you know I'm very uncomfortable about. We can look at this area where you want to help me, and I haven't wanted to let anybody else help me, maybe in years or decades or all my life. If you allow someone else to come to you in that area that you lack, and it's not simply, hey, give me what I need, But it really is, I want some healing here, whether you can magically replace what I'm lacking or not. What I want to be free of is a sense of being enslaved by being inadequate or lacking or wanting or grieving what I've lost. I'm tired of being governed by that sense of wanting. And there is where God comes to us. Doesn't force anything. Jesus certainly had the magic power to just force a bunch of fish to jump in Peter's net. 
But he gives Peter the opportunity to say no. He gives Peter the opportunity to say, okay, I'm going to listen to you. I don't have a lot of reason for doing so, but I'm going to listen to you because there's something here that I feel I can trust. And of course, that's just step one. As that relationship unfolds, there's plenty of times where Peter is one step forward, two steps back. It's not a magical relationship. It's very human. But maybe just a little invitation to a spiritual exercise for this week. What's your or my equivalent of the empty net? What maybe have we been trying for a long time, perhaps? We've been trying to attain this thing that we believe is good for us, but for whatever reason, it just kind of eludes our grasp. Maybe we've been hoping that someone would come around in a relationship. Maybe that's our spouse, maybe that's our child, our parent, our friend. And for whatever reason, it just seems like, I don't even know if this is worth the effort anymore. We know what our empty nets look like. Even if nobody else does, sometimes those nets are very carefully hidden. But just an invitation maybe this week to say, what would it mean for me to cast my net out one more time? Maybe in the face of lots of rejection, I'm just going to do it one more time. And I'm not going to measure the success or failure by how the other person reacts or whether I get that thing replaced that I want, whether that thing in the past is magically reversed. It may be, it may not be. But that's not the measure of the success of trusting. The value in trusting to another is precisely in that it renders us free. And there is where, more often than not, we meet God when he comes to us. God's always there. Jesus is always there for Peter. Peter's not always receptive. Put your net on the other side. Wherever it is you or I feel most lacking tonight, that's the very place this week where we say one more time, Lord, I'm going there.